Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are how the Atlanta Braves were able to win the World Series, plus how the latest injuries from NFL Week 8 shape up the rest of the league, and reacting to the first rankings of the college football playoff. It's episode 46 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Happy November, everybody, here on Thursday, November 4th, 2021, the 46th edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are. Up here in the New England area, around the, in the North Shore, got our first cold air of the year. Definitely felt like fall, definitely for the first time last night. And then just so many headlines, I mean, whether good or bad, just tons of headlines all throughout the sports world. So we're going to try and get to as much as we can. But of course, we have to start it off with the new champions being crowned in the MLB. That's right. The Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions, closing out the Astros in Houston last Tuesday, finishing off Houston in six games, getting their first world championship since 1995. Not that big a drought, but still... A drought that was broken, so congrats to Atlanta. So, breaking down the series in how Atlanta did it, it's what's gotten them throughout the entire postseason, and that was pitching. Their pitching came through when they needed to. Compared to Houston, they were a much better pitching team. Their team ERA throughout the playoffs was 3-2-8, as compared to Houston's, who was 4-4-4. And keep all this in mind that this was without their top starting pitcher, Charlie Morton, okay? You got to remember, like we talked about last week, the resilient effort by Morton to face three more batters after breaking his leg. That really just put more pressure on Max Fried and Ian Anderson, and they rose to the occasion. They totally locked down this lineup. And not only that, but the bullpen was even more effective, I think. That that was really the key for for me at least to see like throughout the throughout the series after the first two games is that that bullpen was electric in shutting down the big Houston hitters. I mean, Will Smith at the closer position. Then you have AJ Minter, Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik, which by the way, I heard a little bit of Matzik's story uh during game 6. What a story. This dude was out of baseball not too long ago and now here he is a key piece in the World Series in the bullpen. Now I think the games in Houston, I think were more beneficial to Atlanta. I mean, when you look at game one and then you look at game six, I mean, Atlanta was able to put all of their outfield weapons in the lineup with the extra spot at the designated hitter. Because, you know, the story has been Ronald Acuna Jr. He was done months ago, months ago, when they replaced it with three or four good bats like Peterson and Soler and Duvall and Rosario. Those four guys made up Rosario, and the fact that you could maybe put three of them in the lineup at the same time, 
while you're in Houston, I think is huge. That was absolutely huge. And you know, a guy like Rosario who hit 383 for the entire playoffs. A guy like Freddie Freeman hits 318 and hits two homers. Austin Riley gets a 320 average. But the thing about the lineup, though, was that the bottom, the bottom of it, 7, 8, 9, they performed so much better. I mean, going into it, when you're looking at Houston, Houston, you could argue, has the best 1 through 9. when you, Or at least, you know, maybe 7 good headers, something like that. But when you look at the 7, 8, 9 spot, getting production out of that was so crucial in this series. When you look at 7, 8, 9, Adam Duvall, uh, Travis Darno. And Dansby Swanson. I mean, Darno hits 292 in the World Series. Dansby Swanson with two very crucial home runs in Game 4 and in Game 6. But obviously, Jorge Soler totally deserved the World Series MVP. Hitting 300, three home runs in the series. I mean, he had the experience when he was a young buck on the 2016 Cubs team. So he brought that experience over. Now he's a two-time World Series champ. It's just baffling to me how Atlanta was able to do this because at the midpoint of the year, they were under 500. Okay? They were not even close to making the playoffs. And this was, as I say over and over and over, they only had 88 wins on the year, which is the fewest among any playoff team. They won the division. And I know some people could say, oh, well, they didn't have to face San Francisco or LA they didn't have to go through the wild card or anything like that that doesn't matter there's no asterisk on this title for Atlanta they got hot at the perfect time their general manager made the right pieces made the right moves at the deadline manager Brian Snicker made great great moves for this Atlanta team and then there are just a ton of guys I'm so happy for. Freddie Freeman, he's a free agent. You know, I wanted him to win a World Series. He's one of those guys where he's been around for so long, he's got to have a ring on his resume, and he does. Just this Atlanta team from top to bottom was, I'm very impressed by them. I don't think it's luck. I think, you know, granted, they didn't have to face the Dodgers, didn't have to face the Giants, but this is still a very impressive run for Atlanta. And I think they truly deserved this World Series after what they have performed through. They did beat L.A., but that was after the ringer, so they were gassed. But nothing is taken away from this Braves team. But on the other side, though, for the Houston Astros, they just could not get consistent pitching. And that was basically starting from the LCS against the Red Sox. I mean, Yurkidi and Greinke were the only good performances that the, this pitching staff had, you know, really from the starters. I mean, Urquidy was able to go five innings. Granke went four. Those were the only good performances from the starters. And you're seeing how important Lance McCullers Jr. was because when he's not in that rotation, for the most part, this Houston starting rotation cannot compete, cannot compete at all. Valdez got lit up. Garcia got lit up. I mean, Keep in mind also offensively, they did not help him at all. And I was expecting big numbers. I was expecting big numbers from this lineup team. But Houston only scored four runs in their losses and 16 runs in their wins. And keep in mind, they only had two wins in this World Series. But just listen to these batting averages from their star players. Jose Altuve, 222. Jordan Alvarez hits 100. Alex Bregman hits 095. Carlos Correa hits 261. 
So this was obviously, you know, for Atlanta, it was great pitching, but this lineup just did not come through when they needed to. I understand Altuve had a couple home runs, but that was not enough. They needed it consistently. They needed all of those guys, maybe even more, like uh, Michael Brantley getting some, you know, big hits rather than just getting on base. They needed more. They needed more consistency all throughout from pitching into lineup. Now, for the future, I don't know because Dusty Baker, he's at the end of his contract. Houston should bring him back. He is a very good manager that really just silenced all the noise from, you know, the cheating scandal and stuff like that. He silenced all that. Carlos Correa, how much money is he going to get? Is Houston going to pay him? It's going to be tough. I think it's going to be really tough for Houston if Correa does leave to try and replace him at shortstop. They got to be willing to pay him, though, if they want to keep him around. They got to keep him around. And then really, they just need to increase their starting pitching. They need much better starting pitching. You know, Granke is not going to return. He's not going to get nearly as much money as he's made in the past. Justin Verlander is, I think, a year and a half removed from Tommy John. I don't know if he's going to be back. This, I don't know where this Houston team goes, essentially. I don't know where they go, but they have a lot of questions that needs to be answered, starting with their manager and then going from the top down. That's how it works out because this team that they threw out in the World Series did not compete at all. And honestly, they were lucky to get out of the LCS against Boston. The fact that they were able to escape that and get to the World Series is a feat in itself. But if they want to stay at the top of the mountain, they got to get better at pitching and they've got to find a way to replace Carlos Correa. Because I understand you still got Altuve, you still got Bregman, still got Alvarez. But there's still more that this team needs to do. You know, maybe get a better hitting catcher than Martin Maldonado. You know, the he was hitting less than 100, but the only reason he was in there was because of his defense. So maybe get a nice uh, hitting catcher to back up Maldonado or maybe split time, something like that. I don't know, but there's a lot of questions for this Houston team that I'm really, really looking forward to see what they do and how they try to address it. But until then... We just say congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. 26 years later are once again World Series champs. So next up is the NFL. And I got to tell you, there are a ton of of news in the NFL. Tons of news. I mean, injuries, COVID, the situation with the Raiders, the situation with the Browns. There's a lot, and I mean a lot, to pick and choose from. But I want to focus on the injuries right now. Injuries slash COVID kind of thing. And we'll get into the COVID part a little bit later. But the biggest story coming out of Week 8 was not necessarily that the Tennessee Titans beat the Colts in overtime but that Derrick Henry is gone for at least the regular season. He broke a bone in his foot. Estimated timeline has about 6 to 10 weeks or 8 to 10 weeks at the minimum. So for at least the regular season, Derrick Henry is done. Absolutely done. And it's going to be hard, and I mean it hard, to replace Derrick Henry. Because basically for Tennessee, Derrick Henry is to them what... Tom Brady is to Tampa, or what Aaron Rodgers is to Green Bay, or uh, Patrick Mahomes is to Kansas City. 
is that he is the offense, the absolute number one option on offense. He runs through so much. That offense runs through him so much that it's going to be, you can't replace him ultimately. You cannot replace him because he is first in basically every rushing category and he makes defenses really game plan for shutting him down, shutting Derrick Henry down because he's outgaining everyone in rush yards, everyone in touchdowns, basically every rushing category that he's in, he's first. He is first. And, you know, with Tennessee signing Adrian Peterson, you're telling me that a 36-year-old Adrian Peterson is going to be able to fill in for Derrick Henry? I don't see that. I don't see that at all. So this is more on Ryan Tannehill. This is going to be on Tannehill to get the passing game going. Now, ever since he's come to Tennessee, he's shown that he's not the quarterback he was in Miami, but he's going to have to show much more. He's got to be, he's got to get into the elite level for Tennessee to not only be Super Bowl contenders, but to even get to the playoffs. So that means A.J. Brown's going to get more targets. Julio Jones is going to get more targets. And they've got to be healthy. They've got to be healthy. Now, the benefit for Tennessee, at least for me, is that the schedule is relatively easy. Not so much, you know, in these next couple of weeks. Because this Sunday, they're in L.A. to take on the Rams. Then they host the Saints at the Patriots and at the Steelers. Those are probably the hardest games left that they have on their plate. Everything else, I mean, you get to play Jacksonville. You get to play Houston. You get to play all these sub-tier teams, which I think Tennessee can still get alive, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really interesting because Indianapolis has shown that they're kind of putting the pieces together. They are 3-5, and five, but can they catch Tennessee is going to be the question. Indianapolis is going to have to take advantage of Tennessee like this. If they struggle, if they struggle, then Indianapolis could be right there to take over the AFC South because let's face it, it's one of the worst divisions in the NFL. One of the worst divisions. Can Tennessee survive? I think they can. I think they can still get a couple wins out of there. Can they contend for the Super Bowl? I'm going to say no. I don't think they can. Without Derrick Henry, they cannot make any noise. And we've seen, you know, earlier this year, you know, losing to the Jets. It's it's one of those games where even if you do have Derrick Henry in the lineup, you can't guarantee it. And I think Tennessee's path was to be the top team in the AFC. Now it looks like they're not going to be. I still think they can survive. You know, I think it's still, they can still win the division as long as they, again, the winnable games um, from the teams I just mentioned, even if you can get one of them and win all the other games that you have against Jaguars, Houston, stuff like that, then they can still get into the playoffs. I still think they can. Because I'm a, I'm a Ryan Tannehill believer, and that's just my fantasy team talking. Um, but I, I think this Tennessee team can stay afloat. They can stay afloat. They can't be Super Bowl contenders, though. That's just what I see. That's how important losing Derrick Henry is to the Titans team. But we'll see what happens in the, in the weeks ahead, starting this Sunday at the Rams. How are they going to survive that? We'll just have to watch that game on Sunday night on NBC. But... Tennessee's not the only team dealing with a bunch of injuries. The Saints have now lost their, maybe their two most important players. One of the two, two of the most important players that they have. Their quarterback, their starting quarterback, 
and their star wide receiver. Jameis Winston tore his ACL against the Buccaneers, and he's out for the year. Michael Thomas has an injury setback with his ankle. He's done for the year. Now, the benefit for New Orleans is that they already adapted to not having Michael Thomas because he was in the first half of the year on the PUP, then he had the setback. So basically, they went 5-2 and two without Michael Thomas. That's essentially all it is. And the other benefit, I would say, is that Jameis Winston wasn't much of a thrower anyway for the Saints team. I mean, you look at the numbers in total pass yards, he's 29th in the league. I was looking at it. I think he's only above Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, I think just to name a few guys. He only has three interceptions, and he and he only has one fumble. So essentially, he was brought in to manage the game, and he only had to avoid the turnovers, which he has for the most part. So I think, you know, whoever comes in, whether it's going to be Taysom Hill, if he comes back from injury, or if it's Trevor Simeon, who hasn't started a game, I think, in like four years, they just have to do the same thing. They just got to protect the football and not cause turnovers. Because you still have Alvin Kamara at running back. He's probably going to carry a lot more on offense. I know that Mark Ingram was brought back to take the load off. But still, this offense is going to run through Alvin Kamara. And he's going to be the big playmaker for this Saints team. But defensively, they've been really carrying him. I think that's that's what it's been. It's normally been, oh, Drew Brees is carrying the Saints offense against a poor defensive Saints team. That's not the case this year, okay? The Saints are second in opponent rush yards per game and fourth in opponent points per game. So Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, Shai Tuttle, all those guys, they've got to control the line of scrimmage. And not only that, but that secondary, whether it's Malcolm Jenkins or P.J. Williams or Gardner Johnson, they've got to create those turnovers because they are fourth with a plus seven turnover differential so New Orleans has played smart they've played smart and it's all going to come down to the quarterback position not turning the football over that's what it's going to come down to is the quarterback managing the game and the defense still being a lockdown defensive line that's what I see for this New Orleans team they can still get the wild card they can still get the wild card because again Jameis Winston all you got to do if you're the quarterback, is just not turn the ball over. You know, you do got to play the Bucs again. The The schedule, I think, is favorable for New Orleans, and I think they can stay afloat. I don't think they can make a deep run, though. You know, similar to Tennessee, I don't think they're true contenders. I think they make a wild card, maybe one of those three spots. But I don't see, I don't see New Orleans really going far. You know, maybe they make the playoffs, but... They might be out in the wild card round or the divisional round really early on. So I don't really see uh, a big future for this Saints team. But the big, uh, the other big headline, you know, not injury related, but the Green Bay Packers have a huge, and I mean huge, COVID outbreak right now in their camp. And their star quarterback, their franchise quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, this just yesterday announced he tested positive. And, you know, it came down all of a sudden that he's unvaccinated. You know, he said he's immune, immunized. I can never say that word right. He's immunized, but he's unvaccinated. So he's going to miss Sunday's game against the Chiefs. Now, you have to look at this for Green Bay. 
Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They missed the game against the Cardinals, but Rodgers is the offense. Even if they come back, he is the offense, okay? He is basically what Derrick Henry, you know, like I said in the Derrick Henry segment, Derrick Henry to Tennessee is what Aaron Rodgers is to Green Bay. So I would say the beneficiary in this is Kansas City. You know, this is a team that's 4-4, and need to get back on track, and now they get a Rodgers-less Packers team. So I think if Kansas City does not win that game, then it's over. Their season is over. But back to the Packers. We finally get to see what Jordan Love can do in the NFL. It's his first career start. And ultimately, life without Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay could get a little sneak preview this Sunday. This is going to say a lot about what Green Bay's future looks like. This is going to show what their future could look like if they don't bring back Aaron Rodgers. If Jordan Love plays great against Kansas City, and let's just keep in mind, Kansas City, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. If Jordan Love can light up this Chiefs team, then the Packers might be more settled into keeping Jordan Love and trying to shop Aaron Rodgers. Or if he plays poorly, that could show that could show management, you know, maybe you're better off keeping Aaron Rodgers and not drafting Jordan Love in the first round with your 26th pick. So that's what I see with Green Bay is, you know, maybe it's not going to be the most competitive game between the Chiefs and the Packers, but it's going to have the most storylines to come out of it. You know, is Kansas City still going to be elite? Can they bounce back? Is Green Bay going to survive without Aaron Rodgers? Those are the questions when you're talking about this game. So I'll toss it to a segment we recorded earlier today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is NFL's Week 9 edition of Pick'em. So our pick segment is going to be a little bit different this week. We're asking our followers on Instagram to pick the games for week nine. We'll take a poll and we'll see how everyone does. We're doing the Thursday night game as we speak tonight. So if you haven't already, go follow at let me speak underscore official. And then my personal account at Joe Braverman to pick some of these games. So let's just get right into it and I'll give you my perspective on what the pick should be starting with Thursday night's game tonight the Jets and the Colts Jets are riding high they're two and five but they beat the Bengals these two wins are legitimate one against the Titans one against the Bengals those are legitimate wins they go to Indianapolis Indy was fighting hard against Tennessee took them to overtime as long as Carson Wentz doesn't make the mistakes then I think Indianapolis should win this game I think the Colts you know, I think the Jets kind of got a little bit lucky. I think the Bengals were kind of in their own head last week thinking, oh, it's the Jets. They're still a young team. I think Indianapolis should win this game. I think as long as Carson Wentz is on his two feet and not making mistakes like he did, you know, if you watch that play when it was 24-24, he tried to avoid the safety by just throwing it out there, did Carson Wentz. And sure enough, it was a pick six for Tennessee. So, those mistakes can't happen, and I don't think they are going to happen. I think defensively, you know, they've got the Jets. They they got Shaq Lawson back. They got some great guys off the edge. If they can get to Wentz and give him some pressure, then they can, you know, keep it competitive. But I don't see it. I think Indianapolis is going to win this game. I think they they see the opportunity with Tennessee not having Derrick Henry. They see them right out in front of them. So that's why I'm going to pick the Colts to win against the Jets on Thursday Night Football. 
But then we go into the Sunday night slate of games. Cleveland at Cincinnati. Two teams off of some tough losses. Cleveland, they've got so much drama about Odell Beckham Jr. He's been excused from practice again after his dad posted a video. I think he does play this week, but there's still a lot of turmoil with that Browns team. And meanwhile, for the Bengals, you know, they're 5-3, and three, but I mean, what a stinker it was to the Jets. Are they in their own head again is going to be the question. I think I think the situation with Cleveland is just too, it's too much. I think it's too much that it distracts them on the field. And that might make Baker Mayfield want to get the ball to Odell much more, and that gets in his own head. That's why I think the Bengals are going to take this one. I think at home, Cincy is going to get back on track, and they're going to be a surprise playoff team. And Cleveland, meanwhile, they're just on a downhill slope. I don't see them recovering, you know, with all the injuries and all the drama that is all around them. I mean, it seemed like Odell Beckham Jr. was ready for a trade. I don't know how he is personally. We haven't heard of it, but... I just wish they could just get them in a room together, Baker and Odell, that is, and just have them hash it out. Because I'm, you know, this is just his dad creating, you know, all the rumors. Is that how Junior feels? Does Junior feel the same way as Senior? We don't know. But I think for this game, the drama's too much, and Cincinnati will take this one. Then we move on to Denver and Dallas. I think Dallas should have an easy one with this one. I mean, Denver just gave away Von Miller the best defensive player they have. I think this is going to be a runaway for the Cowboys. I think Prescott got an extra week to get healthy. Obviously, Cooper Rush started on the Sunday night game against Minnesota. So I think Dallas is well-rested, and Prescott is going to have a big game. I'm kind of hoping that for my fantasy team. So I'll take the Cowboys in this one to beat the Broncos. Then we go to a game where the fewest guys are going to watch, Houston and Miami. Both teams are 1-7. and seven. Could have been Tua Tugavailoa possibly at quarterback for Houston, but that's not the case with the trade deadline. You know, for for the mess that these two teams are, I think Miami at home is the big difference. I think Miami has much more going for them than Houston does. So that's why I'm going to take the Dolphins to beat the Texans. I mean, I'll take Tua over Davis Mills any day of the week and twice on Sundays. And then we go to the NFC South, Falcons at Saints. This is going to be a real interesting test. How do the Saints respond without Jameis Winston? Their new, they got their new quarterback, Trevor Simeon. Obviously, he came in and he led the Saints over the Bucks. You know, obviously they got the advantage early on, and then their defense was able to pick off Brady and really seal the deal. I don't know if they can do that against Atlanta. I think this is one of those upset games. I'm going to go with the Falcons. I think the Falcons are going to take this one. I know they don't have Calvin Ridley, who's off for a personal matter. You know, we hope nothing for the best for him. I think Atlanta, this is one of those games I think they can pull the upset. I definitely think that Atlanta can beat New Orleans this week. That's how I see it. Then we go to the Raiders and the Giants. We won't get into the Henry Ruggs situation, but you just got to think, you know, the poor Raiders. I mean, they had the John Gruden incident. Now they've got this. How much of it is in their head? That's why I think this is prime opportunity for the Giants to maybe pull out this win. They do have a short week, and I think they're going to take advantage of it. I think I'm going to go with the Giants. I think the Giants are going to win this game and take advantage of what is a mess right now in the Raiders locker room. So, I will go 
with the New York football giants to beat the Las Vegas Raiders. And then we go to Carolina and New England. Both teams 4-4. Four and four. Both teams need a win. I think, you know, it depends on Christian McCaffrey. If he's playing on a limited basis, can the Patriots stop him? I think, I don't think they can even with McCaffrey in there. I think I'll favor the Patriots in this one and I'll pick them. Just because, you know, they're getting together at the right time. There's quarterback questions about either P.J. Walker or Sam Darnold. Is Darnold recovered from the concussion? Or is, you know, if McCaffrey comes back, how effective is he going to be? Is Stephon Gilmore going to have a good defensive game against his old team? I think there's too many questions for the Panthers. I'll take New England on the road to beat this one. And that's a little bit of homerism for me. Buffalo and Jacksonville. I think Buffalo at 5-2, and two, this should be a no-brainer. No-brainer. I'm not even going to spend a ton of time on this. The Bills look great. I think they should win this game against Jacksonville because Jacksonville is Jacksonville. So then we go to Minnesota and Baltimore. Baltimore well-rested off their bye week. I think they come out hot at home against the Vikings. Vikings with a tough loss against Dallas last week on Sunday Night Football. I like the Ravens to beat the Battle of the Purples and win this game. I think Lamar Jackson is well-rested. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, and then whoever they have at running back, they're going to have a big game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens to win this one. And then Chargers-Eagles. Chargers off of the loss, off of the bye. It's almost like they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit. Herbert didn't have his best game. They got a Philly team that just absolutely obliterated the Detroit Lions. You got to think they might be riding high. I'm going to go with the Chargers, though. I think the Chargers, they're a much better team. I think Eagles defensively can't stop this high-powered, you know, team. You know, last week it was New England, kind of like a bend-don't-break, where they allowed all the yards, but they forced the turnovers on Herbert. I don't think Philly can do that with this Chargers team. So I'm going to go with the Chargers. And then, like I said in the previous segment, the most intriguing game. Packers, Chiefs. Packers, 7-1, but don't have Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love for the first time. Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs barely just got over the Giants. Just barely. I think there's a lot of things that could happen in this game. I think Kansas City at home, I think that's the difference. You know, with Jordan Love, his first game is against Patrick Mahomes. I know Mahomes isn't the same guy this year that he was in years past, but this is still Jordan Love's first career start, and he's got to do it in Kansas City in a hostile environment. I think the Chiefs somehow find a way and beat the Packers for this one. As then we go to the NFC West matchup between the Cardinals and the 49ers. I think, again, Cardinals, they're looking at themselves off of that Thursday game, and they're saying, what happened to us? What happened to us? They lose the game to Green Bay. A.J. Green wasn't synced with Kyler Murray. What is the health status of Kyler Murray? That's another thing you have to watch for. I think they do get it over San Francisco. San Fran is just, they're not looking like the same team. Dropping the game to Chicago last week. I think I'll take the Cardinals to beat this one. And then probably the second most intriguing game is the Sunday night game between the Titans and the Rams. I think this should be the Rams' prime spot to just obliterate Tennessee, I think. I think Tennessee can make it competitive in the first half, maybe not in the second half. I think Matt Stafford comes, and he lights the scoreboard up, and I think the Rams are going to take this one, without a doubt, I think, for me. And then the Monday night game, Chicago and Pittsburgh. 
I think Pittsburgh, they're on the up and up. You know, I think they can get back into wild card contention defensively. And then Ben Roethlisberger, he's finally got Najee Harris going in the run game. I think that helps out so much. And then Chicago's just got too many questions. Again, with Justin Fields, how is he going to look against this kind of defense? If TJ Watt can get after him and contain him, then the Steelers will win this one without a doubt. But I should also say congrats to the Detroit Lions because they will not lose a game this week. Although there's going to be some kind of meme on Facebook where they lose on the bye week or whatever. But those are the slate of picks for me. Again, if you're listening to us, make sure you follow my personal account at Joe Braverman and our Instagram account at Let Me Speak underscore officials where you can pick the slate of games for NFL Week 9. Sticking with football, we go to the college game. This past Tuesday, the first playoff rankings came out of the season, and we've got our tier system. There's a lot of headlines, I think. There's a lot of stories coming out of this. You know, you've got teams that are unproven and teams that maybe shouldn't be as high as they are. And I can tell you, when the rankings came out, I had a lot of interesting takes that I wanted to share. And I thought it's the perfect segment for this week's edition of of our segment known as Hot Takes. So looking at one through six, in order, it's Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon, Ohio State, and Cincinnati. Now here's my first question with this. Why is Alabama ranked higher than Michigan State? Why is Alabama, who's seven and one, one spot ahead of Michigan State, who's 8-0. You got to keep in mind, this isn't like the SEC and the, the ACC or whatever, or, you know, Pac-12 or whatever like that. This is the Big Ten. This is the Big Ten Conference, which in my mind is the second hardest conference in the nation outside the SEC. And if someone goes undefeated in that, they should definitely be in and definitely be in the top two. That's what I'm seeing in all of this. But Alabama, they've already lost to Texas A&M. And essentially, if they lose another game, they're going to be done. I don't like Alabama being at number two. Michigan State should be in there at number two. Especially, they're undefeated. They had a huge game against Michigan last week. They pulled off that upset. Kenneth Walker, all those guys. How is Michigan State number three and not number two, okay? If anything, Alabama should be three or four. They shouldn't be right behind Georgia. This is just, this is the conference that everyone loves. You know, the committee just wants to see the SEC. They, the SEC, don't get me wrong, is the conference in college sports, in mainly college football, but to see two teams in the top two, like, give some respect. You don't think Michigan State and Oregon and Ohio State Cincinnati is looking at that saying, oh, they're just, they're doubting us. They are absolutely doubting us. So, I mean, Alabama, I think they do get in if they can go all the way and not lose another game. And that includes winning the SEC championship. They can definitely get in there. But if they drop another game, they're out. They are absolutely done. So, all the pressure is on Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. They have to win. They have to keep winning. 
And Georgia, kind of same thing. They went out, they get in, essentially. They win the SEC, it's a lock. It's a lock that they'll be number one, and they should be number one. I think that's without a question right there, that the Bulldogs are number one. They're number one in the AP poll. They've been number one since Alabama lost. This is a Georgia team that I think can make a lot of noise in this playoff if they win the SEC championship, if they can get to that title game and win the conference championship. That's what I see. But outside of the SEC, you know, going back to Michigan State, the Spartans are going to be tested. They do have to go to the horseshoe and play Ohio State on November 20th. And ultimately, kind of what I said a few weeks ago, the Big Ten Conference winner will be in the playoff. And I think it's going to come down to either Michigan State or Ohio State. And there's a lot of variables that could still happen, you know. Michigan could beat Ohio State and knock them out and set up again Michigan and Michigan State. And it could be Michigan that gets in, possibly, you know. It's it's hard to say because you have other teams as well, you know, like Oklahoma and stuff like um, Cincinnati, stuff like that. But I think whoever wins the conference, if they stay the way they are, I think they will get into the playoff. I think the Big Ten winner should get into the playoff. And going to number four in Oregon at seven and one, a little bit surprising. Surprising to see them in the top four. You know, they, they've had some some big wins. They did, you know, I think the the big thing that got them in there was beating Ohio State earlier on. Beating Ohio State early on was, I think, basically the deciding factor because, you know, maybe if Oregon doesn't win that game, you put Ohio State either at number three or number four, or maybe even number two if you think about it, if they're undefeated because Buckeyes' only loss of the year was to Oregon. But I think that win earlier on where the Ducks beat the Buckeyes was huge to get them in to the conversation at least. And again, they've got to win out because I think if they drop a game, they're done. There's no way from looking at you know recent memory not a lot of two lost teams get into the college football playoff. So if you drop two games and you're a big-time school like, say, Alabama or Oregon or Ohio State, then there's no chance you get into the playoff. Not one bit. Not one bit. So Oregon, the big win against Ohio State, I think, was the one that pushed them over the edge. And like I talked about with Ohio State at number five, they win the Big Ten, they get in. They get in because I think this this is a team that was sort of looking for their identity earlier on. I think that's what kind of had them drop the game to Oregon earlier on in the year. But they've sort of righted the ship, gotten them back to what they did. You know, Ryan Day managing the team. And that's what got Ohio State, you know, back on track. But again, they've got to win the Big Ten. They have to win the Big Ten in order to get into the playoff. And then, like I said... About Cincinnati right there at number six. It's a weak conference, and I know they beat Notre Dame, but I mean, having them at number six, that they've got a lot. They need a lot to happen to really solidify that spot. But I think if they go undefeated, they should get in. They should get into the number four spot because you have all these variables. You got Michigan State, Ohio State. They're going to play each other. You still got Oregon. You still got Alabama, these one-loss teams. They're undefeated. You know, and you've got a team like Oklahoma where they're undefeated as well. If they run the table, they could probably leapfrog you because they're in the harder uh, conference. They're in the harder conference in the Big 12. So that's sort of what I see with Cincinnati is it's 
becoming more of an uphill battle, you know, just because of their conference. I understand they're undefeated, but they should get in and they should win out. If they win out, they should get in and I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm sticking to my guns that I don't care what else happens in the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 that if Cincinnati, if the Bearcats remain undefeated, they should get into the playoffs. They should get into the playoffs. I'm going to ride with that. That's sort of going to be that's going to be the thing I ride with during the college football season is I am going to ride Cincinnati and say that as long as they don't lose another game this year, they will get into the playoffs and they should get into the playoffs. But then I meet I briefly touched about Oklahoma. I think just because the games have been so close and they've made quarterback changes from Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams, you know, these aren't runaway games. If Oklahoma was a little more dominant, then they'd probably be ranked higher than eighth right now. But the good thing for them is they've still got a lot of games left to play in the Big 12. You know, they've had a lot of high-scoring shootouts where they've had to go down to the wire, you know, with games like Texas just barely beating Kansas not too long ago. So that's sort of where I see. I think they don't deserve to be in just because they've had all the close games. And if they do drop a game, then it's done. It's absolutely done. It's still going to be hard for them to even, like, get to the top four if they run the table just because early on, like I've said, everything's been close. There haven't been a lot of wins where you can say, oh, that was a nice relaxing win for Oklahoma. That's sort of the difference maker I'm seeing with the Sooners is that they're not running away with these games. If they have some runaway games, then maybe they move up a little more. But right now, I don't see Oklahoma getting anywhere near the playoff with the kind of schedule they've been running with. But the good news is this is only week one of the playoff rankings and a bunch of teams are going to face off. Like I said, Michigan State and Ohio State are going to play each other. So there's still plenty of movement and plenty of things that can still happen during this college football season. So up next, it's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And I want to dedicate this one specifically to a all-around loved Boston public figure. Obviously, if you don't remember from this past weekend, Jerry Remy uh, passed away at 68 due to his fight with lung cancer. I got to tell you, just he was so much fun to listen to. Him and Don Orsillo as a kid, I remember always wanting to watch the game once 7 o'clock rolled around on Nesson. You know, just because I wanted to hear those two. Those two have tremendous banter. And he was a guy that was beloved. You know, you couldn't find one person that didn't like Jerry Remy. I'll I'll never forget back in 2007, the infamous uh, pizza incident where the fan threw the fan of pizza or the uh, slice of pizza at the other fan. And it was just, it was funny. So, you know, thoughts and prayers go to the Remy family and... Jerry was a beloved uh, Boston figure in in the city. So this one's dedicated to the Rem Dog. But getting into the action on the court, we got to talk about the Boston Celtics and all the drama that they've gone through. I know it's early in the season, but they've just had a ton of drama. I mean, blowing a 19-point second-half lead to the Bulls, and then Marcus Smart after the game publicly calling out Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, saying they need to pass the ball. Now, if you're just reading the quote... 
that seems like you know crazy and like sour grapes and stuff like that but this was calculated this is totally something marcus smart planned ahead of time he wasn't like you know upset or anything like that he was kind of like speaking like a coach and you know he's the He's the starting point guard for this team. Ime Udoka said, this guy is our point guard. You can start facilitating on your own. So this is nothing, you know, crazy that Smart has said. You know, he knew exactly how he was saying. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was calling out Brown or Tatum for being a bad teammate. Because, I mean, these guys have spent since 2017 together, these three. So we know that they can play. And we know that they can play with each other. But it's just, you know, now hearing from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski that after the Bulls game and after the comments that there was a players-only meeting, and according to Woj, it was emotional, but uh, less productive, not as productive. You also got to remember, it's so early on in the year. It's still early on in the year that it's best to have these things happen now rather than later on. I mean, they're three and five. It's only been eight games with a ninth one coming up tonight and you know there's still plenty of time for this team to to right the ship it's an 82 game season there's still plenty of time but from what you're seeing on the court so far the offense just remains stale absolutely stale you know when you look at team Celtics teams of the past you know when you have stars like Bill Russell Larry Bird Robert Parrish you know Ray Allen Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett there was still ball movement. There was still ball movement passing around. That's what this Celtics team is not doing. That's the foundation of the Celtics team. Jason Tatum, I know he's not shooting the ball well as compared to years of the past, but he's got to stop playing hero ball, okay? Late in games. It's not like the Celtics are totally getting blown out in every single game. They're competitive. They're competitive in most of these games. And when it's close... Tatum is still taking these shots where he's trying to play hero ball. So he's he's taking ill-advised shots that are in isolation. You know, one of the shots was the inbound against Chicago. You know, he's in isolation. I think it's against Caruso. And then a double team comes and he just fires it up there. He doesn't have to do this. He just has to stop, survey the situation, look around, and see what he has. You know, he doesn't have to do it all by himself. Because he's got capable guys around him. He's got Jalen Brown. He's got Al Horford, Schroeder, Richardson, Smart, all these guys. He's got them around. So he just has to stop playing hero ball, okay? And Ime Odoka, I know he's a rookie coach, but he's got to control the team. He's got to find a way to make them play together. Because they're still, it's carrying over from last year. All this isolation, you know, you need ball movement. You need Dennis Schroeder coming in. He's averaging the most assists. Maybe you put him in the starting lineup. Maybe more minutes for Al Horford because he's averaging a double-double and he's rebounding and defying the expectations that everyone really had against him. So that's the biggest thing that Udoka has to do is get these guys to play together. The good news is, is it's still early on. It's eight games down of an 82-game season. They've got tonight's game against Miami against the Heat after winning against Orlando last night. So there's still plenty of time for this team to rebound. But you just look at the stars and the way the roster is made up, you think they should be doing better than 3-5. and five. And I think they will. They will get better. But if they're still hovering around the, the 500 mark, that's your time to panic if you're a Celtics fan. But there's no need to panic about the New England Patriots, though, getting a huge win 
in LA against the Chargers last week, now going to Charlotte to face the Carolina Panthers in week nine. Just going back to the game against the Chargers, this was, I think, the first legitimate win that you could say about this Patriots team. Because let's face it, they had they were three and four to start. Two of the wins was against the Jets, and the third one was a squeaker in which they just got by the Texans. So this was the first legitimate game. And it was all around great. Special teams looked great. The defense finally had a game that they won themselves with limiting Justin Herbert to only 223 yards and then picking him off twice, both by Adrian Phillips, including the game-clinching pick six. I thought the defense looked great. Mac Jones didn't have a great game, but the running game finally came through. I think they finally looked and saw, huh, the Chargers have a really bad run defense. Let's run the ball against them. And sure enough, they get 141 rush yards, including 80 of them from your lead back, Damian Harris. So the running game finally had a great game, and it was finally one of those games where Mac Jones didn't have to do it all by himself. Yes, he was the quarterback and stuff like that, but the defense finally came through. They limited Mike Williams. They limited the deep ball. It was one of those bend-don't-break kind of games that Belichick always has. And sure enough, there is now a path for the playoffs sitting at 4-4. Four and four. And you look at, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season, looking at the schedule around this time is where it gets really hard. You know, you see some of these games at the Panthers. They have injury questions with McCaffrey and Darnold. The Browns, they're in turmoil. The Falcons, not as good. The Titans don't have Derrick Henry. The Jaguars stink, and the Dolphins stink. So now, these are winnable games that the Patriots can do. They can win these games and get themselves into the playoffs, which is, you know, something you couldn't say maybe two or three weeks ago. But this is a must-win. If they have any shot, they've got to win this game. I said it in our pick segment that if McCaffrey plays, I would, you know... I think it would be closer, depending on how many touches. Just because I think the linebackers that New England has, they're not going to be able to keep up with McCaffrey, even if he's not at full strength. You know, Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, I don't think they can really keep up with McCaffrey because you've got you've got your secondary. You've got probably J.C. Jackson's going to be on D.J. Moore or Robbie Anderson, Jalen Mills on the second guy. And then your running back, who'd you, who are you going to slide up? Uh, McCourty from the safety spot, Adrian Phillips, I don't think anyone can keep up with him. So I think it's going to be really, really close. But this is a huge week for New England. If they can beat Carolina, there's a realistic shot that they can get into the postseason. But all around Boston, it's just some straight-up chaos between the Celtics and the Patriots. The Bruins obviously still going on, but, you know, We'll see what the Patriots can do this week against the Carolina Panthers, and we'll see if the Celtics can turn things around. Finally, to wrap up our show, we look at our LOL moment of the week. And this week, it's a moment where it's almost like you have to see it to believe it. You know, me personally, I've never seen anything like it before. I thought I've seen it all in the NHL, but that is not the case. So without any further ado, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Ryan Nugent Hopkins 
and Vince Dunn. Two skaters, one moment. Let me explain to you how it happened. It was earlier in the week, Edmonton Oilers versus the Seattle Kraken. Right now, you look at the video, they're in the offensive zone, they're getting shots off the Oilers, and then all of a sudden, play stops. Why would it stop? And it turns out that Nugent Hopkins and Dunn had their skates like tied together at least that's what it looked like from the the camera side you know when the camera you look at that shot they saw it they're like tied together like i've never seen that before i've never seen anything like that before i mean i've seen like a stick go into like the um, opening of the skate i've seen you know the weirdest one i've seen was when a stick goes through like the visor of a player i can't remember exactly who that was but, you know, I've seen crazy thing. I've seen the puck get, like, stuck in a the goaltender's pants or whatever. But I've never seen the laces of these guys' skates get sort of, like, tied up and, and caught together. I don't know if it was, like, the blade maybe was caught on the lace or if the laces were, like, tied together or something like that. But I've never seen that before. And obviously, you know... It makes sense how it could happen because Nugent Hopkins is like in front of the net. He's trying to like move around and then Dunn is trying to like cut him off and stuff like that. So I see how it could happen. But the fact that it happened like that just blows my mind <laughs> to see something like that. I've never seen that before, you know. Absolutely. I guess it's Seattle's way of making themselves known in the NHL. You know, they look at the Golden Knights saying, oh, you re you acquired Jack Eichel. Well, guess what? We'll make this headline and get two skaters caught in a way you've never seen before. <laughs> Whatever Seattle's doing to get attention for that expansion team. Hey, all for it. But Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Vince Dunn, the fact that you guys got stuck together in the most unique way possible earns a spot. In this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that'll do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow our other pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.